0: You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I haven't spoken to my next guest for maybe a year and a half, two years, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, that she doesn't often like to talk because she's a private person. And secondly, because she decided after getting married to her, the love of her life, they decided that they would drive up from Cape Town through Africa, I think, anyway, and she went away for seven or eight months. And I'd like to think that, well, some people would like to think that she was going out there unearthing investment opportunities in the great continent of Africa. But me, I'd prefer to say that she was just going out there, or they were just going out there to have a load of fun. Now, let's get the truth. Jaliza Hatting from South Chester Investment Managers is on the telephone. Now, Jaliza, you've just come back after seven or eight months, whatever it was, driving through Africa. Was it fun or was it a research mission?
1: It was the most incredible experience ever, but and it was definitely not research. Hi, Lindsay. It's so nice to talk to you again. Well,
0: thank
1: you. Um, we left last year in, in August, you know, where the world was still a different place at that point, and came back almost middle March uh, this year, just before lockdown, into an entirely different, different world, where we went from complete freedom we had a, a land cruiser with a camper on the back end of it, and we just drove all the way up to northern Northern Kenya and then back back south again for a total of about 25,000 kilometers. And that absolute freedom just to clear your head, clear your mind, and realize what is important and what is not, um, yeah, that's what we've experienced. And I, I don't think it's something that, that – we will ever be able to almost understand the magnitude of it but secondly it's difficult to even just try and put it into words
0: okay well you're gonna to have to try to because there must have been highlights and lowlights i mean you're an organized person i know that and the fact that you've got a land cruiser and you've got everything tied to the back of it means that you were organized and you probably did a bit of research as to where you were going but on the other hand there was obviously an element of spontaneity as well mm. now the first thing, when you told me that you were going to do this, I thought, well, two young women driving up in Africa, there are potential um, flashpoints, and that's, that's, that's the polite way of, of putting it. Were there any? Uh,
1: very few outside of the borders of South Africa. And the reason why I'm saying it like that is when we started planning this, and you're right, you said, there was a lot of planning going into it. Um, we were only worried about wild people and wild animals, you
0: know?
1: yes. which, is, which is fine driving through Africa. And what we realized as we progressed with our trip was that people universally are the same. They're kind, they're generous, they, they're friendly. And what we found in every single African country that we went through is that people opened the, their hearts to us, people, and people basically just helped us out of crazy situations where we couldn't even speak a similar language. Um, there were times where we were stuck in the mud, where we couldn't get ourselves out. And some of the locals would come walking past and just start helping you. They kind of look at you, realize these two white women have got no idea what they're doing. Um, and essentially almost push you a little bit out of the way and dive down underneath the coins and just start helping you. So we've, we found incredible... Um, almost a a sense of of belonging right through the entire Africa. So you you do plan a lot and you, you don't do anything or you try not to do anything stupid. It doesn't mean that there won't be difficult political situations or even physical situations. So for instance, when we tried to cross the border from Botswana into Zambia, um, the the customs officers on the Botswana side told us, sorry, but South Africans aren't allowed to cross the border today. We thought this is a bit weird, you know. Hmm. First time in my life that's happened to me. And they said, no, the reason for that is due to the xenophobic attacks that was happening in Joburg, um, which was actually, depending on which news report you were reading, was more almost a type of a, a gang-related war between some of the South African it's called gangs, and some of the uh, Zambias, Zambians, Mozambicans, um, et cetera, that were driving their trucks up and down through Joburg. So a couple of, of the Zambian trucks were targeted, and in retaliation, um, the Zambians actually actually then targeted some South African trucks going over the border. So we were told, listen, we can't guarantee your safety today. Unfortunately, you can't cross the border. And then you've got one of two choices. You either change your plans, you kind of insist on on, on crossing, even though it is a very, very stupid plan at that point, where you say, you know what, let's go back to our previous campsite, so therefore a day or two, wait it out, and then just adjust our route a little bit, go via Zimbabwe, which is what we did, and cross over at, at Vic Falls. Um, so you've, you've got those type of, of moments where things are outside of your control, or for instance, when we were in Malawi, and um, there was a lot of riots be- Due to the presidential election and a lot of corruption behind it. Yes. Um, but yet, you just what, all that you do is you just kind of plan to to miss uh, the the hotspots, and even then, there's a lot of a lot of police, a lot of military presence to ensure ensure your safety. And then, lastly, another example is, uh, for instance, northern Mozambique, which is currently almost from October and November last year uh, a definite no zone for any type of traveling. Um, just due to the violence that's that's happening there after they found all of the oil and gas, gas fields and started doing the exploration. So again, you can either be foolhardy and say, I'm sticking to my guns. We wanted to drive down the entire coast. Or you can say, let's just skip this area where there are pockets of insurgents and pockets of violence. And rather... Come drive down through through Malawi and then get back into Mozambique. When once you actually pass all of the all of the super dangerous hotspots, so at the end of the day, it's just about um, continuously adapting to to your environment.
0: I can sense, Gillies, uh, G- 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 I can really sense a difference in you now. Because when we used to speak, yeah. and you were in the—I won't say you were in in a rut, or you were in the in the treadmill of financial services, because you're still in financial services at, at which uh, you excel. But I, I can sense a sort of more relaxed tone about you, and it's almost as though you've had your faith in humanity restored, and you seem more calm. And have you come back and said, "I look at the markets in a different way. The markets aren't the be all and end all." What I've just experience over the last seven eight months is more important than what i'm doing on a day-to-day basis maybe i'm being a little too flowery here but I, i sense a difference in you
1: now there's definitely a difference in me whether it is i think similar to what a lot of people during lockdown currently is experiencing which is that question of what is really important in life and why is that important and one one aspect of it is to find something that you love doing and to do it for that reason for no other reason so I again rekindled my passion and my love for investments whilst we were on the strip and I realized why I love doing it. Then alongside with that is this whole drive of living more simplistically of what is actually really going to make you smile at the end of the day. Is it having a lot of stuff around you or is it actually sitting in front of a fire with openness as far as you can see? And I know that's a, it's a very privileged point uh, to be at instead of, you know, you have to go through all of the, the phases, first of ensuring that you've got enough food to eat, that you have got a roof over your head, et cetera, et cetera. But once you can get to that privilege point of saying, but let's move back to simplicity, I think that is where what a lot of people hopefully realised during this lockdown period as well, even though it was a shorter period and a lot more different and difficult circumstances, I think that the essence of it, of what is important, kindness, um, how you drive, you know, as, as we were dri- driving through through all these various different random places, the things that stuck out were the kindness of people, um, the genuineness of it. Um, and that's something that, to me, bringing that back into the marketplace and bringing that back into investments of saying you don't have to sound the smartest or imply that you know the best. But what you need to be is you need to be kind, you need to be genuine, you need to be passionate about what you're doing and that that will then shine through in everything else
0: did you find and this is a slightly controversial question did you find a great difference between south africa once you'd gone beyond the borders of the republic of south africa your home country did you find that there was a complete difference between the attitude towards you outside as i say of the borders did you find people in other countries more sympathetic to two white women driving through their country
1: I think (laughs) it's easy to make political statements or or harsh statements, but I think one of the things that struck us was that South Africans aren't necessarily perceived as being part of Africa as you travel through the rest of Africa. It's it's because of our own doing that the perception is that South Africans see themselves as better or as different than the rest of Africa, not as part of Africa. So so that, that was a, a very hard-hitting um, realization as you drive through of you're part of them rather than part of us. So a couple of times we actually had to explain to the people that were, let's, let's call it, once you don't like the word harass, but let's call it uh, challenging us on this point, that yes. we're actually also, we're not Mizoongas, even though we are white people, but we're also Africans. And just because we're driving through a country the two white women doesn't make us foreigners or Europeans. We're still Africans. And I think that is something that we also had to realize of we are Africans. And I know, again, it's a little bit of a flowery, airy, fairy thing to talk about. But there's this deep, deep connection that we actually have to, whether it's to the soil, whether it's to the openness, whether it is, as we've talked about briefly just before the school started, the, the blueness of the sky, there's something that kind of just tells you, listen, this is home. And that was one of the things that that, that, that struck us. Yes, it is difficult coming back through the South African border. Uh, we entered via port from Mozambique almost through to Nelspray. And the first thing you see is this massive sign saying danger, crime hotspot. You know, It's the first time we saw that sign <laughs> It's going through 13 different countries.
0: So you, um, you crossed from Mozambique into South Africa, and the first thing you saw was something negative. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, Um, And that's after we had a bit of a cry on the border post where it said, welcome to South Africa. And we're like, oh, wow, we're coming home. And the first sign, like I said, is one saying, danger, crime hotspot. And I don't think we actually, as South Africans, realize what we've got here. And that was the second thing that that was that came across fairly strongly. So whether it was talking to people in Zambia, asking us, what are you guys doing? You've got everything that you need in order to grow this country. You've got all the infrastructure already. We still have to build it. You've got all of these things in place. Just go out and build the country. And that realization of what we actually as a country have, rather than focusing on what we don't have or, or legacy issues um, – it's, 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 that was a quite stark difference as well. And then obviously the third thing that one becomes very aware of is the influence specifically of China and a little bit of the rest of the, of, of the eastern Eastern world in Africa. Yes. And the amount of investment that's actually happening, whether it is behind the scenes or whether it is out in the open, but all of the big infrastructure projects that we drove past or that we actually drove on uh, were all Chinese-driven. So it's Chinese science wherever you look at. It. It's a lot of uh, Chinese people actually working on these various various sites. And to give an indication, the majority of, of the mapping companies actually can't keep up with the new roads being built. So whether you're running with a GPS or paper maps or even Google Maps, the majority of the times there are roads that doesn't appear on any map, but it's a brand new three, four-lane tar road running through the middle of Uganda, argument's sake. Like. Yes.
0: Um,
1: and on the one hand... People are talking about almost the recolonization of Africa, which I know, again, politically charged statement, and there's a lot of points there to unpack. The question is whether it's a a good thing to put the infrastructure in that wasn't there previously, or whether it's a bad thing if you look at the almost very onerous conditions that come with the funding of all of the infrastructure. So some of the African countries have started to kind of just wake up to to the realization of what they what they're buying into, and I know Tanzania, for instance, have cancelled a couple of infrastructure projects. Um, the Ugandans, for instance, are very very unhappy about some of the roads that they are calling the most expensive roads in Africa. For no, it's nothing special about it. It's a straight, flat road, a nice uh, tar road from um, going into into the capital city of Uganda. But because of all the corruption behind it, it made it. The most expensive road per kilometer that was ever built in Africa, and that—that that again is the unfortunate and the negative parts that that one does see, um, and it's about again back to exploitation. But there are positives, again, on the back of it. There's of always positives, Julie. So, that wasn't there previously.
0: Yeah, there's always positives. I mean, you can say people talk about the uh, European colonization of the continent of Africa. Uh, but now there's a, <laughs> people say there's a new uh, China col- colonization. But yeah. On the other hand, what was your feeling when you spoke to people that may have worked on the road, may have um, benefited from the road? Do you think it's a good or a bad thing or a little bit in between?
1: It's a, it's a little bit of a in-between thing. So the positive, like I said, is that it does help with economic growth. It does help with um, stimulus in various different pockets of the countries. The bad thing about it is the price. And I think it's a price that people aren't yet aware of in terms of what they're paying and what they're giving away. Um, now, again, as an example, you go back to Zambia. And Zambia defaulted on some of their loans to, to China. And as a result, they had to give some of the state-owned enterprises, they, ha- they had to hand that over to China, um, almost in, in lieu of payment. So none of these things come without a price. But it's only going to be in about five or ten years down the line where I think one's really going to see the impact of it. And that's why I go back to what I said initially of, I don't think myself, Miriam, actually understand the just how big the strip was for us because in 10 years time most probably you won't be able to go overlanding through Africa anymore and if you are you most probably will be on t- tar roads the whole time whereas I think we only did about a maximum of a third of the time on tar if it, if it was even that much
0: yeah.
1: so a lot of the places that we've explored I think will very soon uh, will very soon either disappear or become um, super commercialized which is which is the sad part behind it.
0: Obviously, South Africa and uh, the rest of Africa has to progress and mm. grow its infrastructure. But on the other hand, what you're saying is that you, in your romantic way, you would like uh, mm-hmm. a few pockets of Africa to remain a dust road I, I rather than a tar road. And that's a metaphorical.
1: <laughs> I think it's more just uh, for the authenticity to remain mm. um, rather than this focus on... Driving down a tar road, and there's a Chinatown on your right hand side, and a big Western Mall on your left hand side. And all, both of those contribute to the community, definitely. But it is to, to try and continue to capture that that realness um, that you can still find. And if you take Rwanda as an example, um, the country since 1994, after they had it, the, let's call it this massive massacre, uh, they took a turn for. For the best, actually, and if you drive through that country, you can. And again, you can argue about what's currently happening on a political basis there, but the country is actually developed. The roads are pristine that you're driving on. To go from, for instance, Tanzania and just cross across the border into Uganda, you can't. You sorry, into Rwanda, you almost can't compare the two. And they did that without a lot of foreign aid. They did it without a lot of Without giving too much of themselves away to the likes of, say, China or other, other Asian nations, um, they almost did it by saying, "Listen, we want to, as a country and as a nation, we want to progress and we want to grow this." So there's still a lot of of realness there, and 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 that's the beauty that you almost want to try and preserve, if for lack of a better word.
0: Did you see any investment opportunities? I know at the beginning I was fairly um, frivolous about sort of talking about fun versus uh, investment opportunities but when you went mm-hmm. through Africa did you see if you put on your hat, your investment management hat, did you see uh, opportunity there?
1: There will always be opportunities whether it is in the agricultural space or whether it is actually in ju- just a general upliftment of, of various different countries. Um, one of the one of the big drivers that we saw was the usage of, whether you want to call it digital money or telemoney, um, and how all the various different, well, the majority of them, as specifically as you go a little bit more further north, um, all used, whether it's M-Pesa or whether it is other forms of digital currency, in order to, to transact. Nobody was paying with cash, credit cards were like now. Don't take that. Even on some of the borders, you had to physically go and pay with MPs. If you don't didn't have that on your phone, you had to find somebody sitting outside that was willing to take your cash, load it onto the, load credit on their phone and pay on your behalf. So so there there were different definitely some investment trends that came through very strongly. So online slash digital digital banking is a massive trend. Um what was interesting was the cost of data. If you compare that between South Africa and the rest of Africa, we yeah. we we locally might say pay multiples of in terms of price compared to to some of the African countries we, we travel through, where we would argument say pay five or ten rands for a couple of gig of data locally, that would cost you a couple of hundred rands. So that that was quite interesting to see how. So we're expensive, in other words. Sorry on. to interrupt
0: you. We are horrendously yes. expensive compared to the rest of Africa.
1: Yes, our food's expensive. Whether you want to call it airtime, data, so so the basic things are very expensive compared to to the rest of of Africa. Yes,
0: that's extraordinary. Let's talk about uh, your trip and uh, before we get on to the markets because uh, you've come back with a, a clear mind obviously and you sound rejuvenated uh, but let's talk about the highlights and the lowlights of your trip highlights please one or two
1: <laughs> yeah very difficult um, and the only reason why I'm saying very difficult is because we've, we've experienced so many extraordinary things um, one of the different highlights was my 40th birthday yes I'm 40 now um, and we went on a Hot air balloon ride over the Masai Mara with sunrise, and that was just one of yeah one of the most beautiful moments I think in my entire life to see again that pristine beauty just unfold around you. Um, having breakfast out there in the middle of 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 the national park, um, just incredible. And another highlight definitely was when we realised that we could change our own tyre. <laughs> Big highlight doing that on the under the watchful eye of a couple of, of Maasai warriors in, in Tanzania, and we did it in a record time of just below 10 minutes. Um, so that was definitely a highlight as well. And, and the reason why that was a highlight is because we realized that we are, there will always be roadblocks or flat tires thrown in front of us. Yes. But we can actually, it will be okay, regardless of what it is that's going to come across our way, it will be okay whether it will mean that we'll have to just figure take a bit of time and figure it out or whether it means that there will be people coming past that will will assist us um, out of their kindness and goodness but that belief almost in ourselves and the belief in the universe that things will work out i think is definitely one of one of the highlights for me of the the trip
0: so people embraced you in other words people uh, uh, took you to their hearts which is what you've been saying and that that to me says a lot about uh, the, the future of Africa. In other words, there is some future. There is some hope for Africa, despite the naysayers.
1: I think there will always be hope. Um, it just depends on whether one wants to look for it, and whether one wants to be part of it. Um, and I know, again, that sounds very irre- I can as easily become negative and tell about all the bad stories as well, Yes, but if you want to look for the positives, you will always find it. Yes.
0: Give me two bad stories.
1: <laughs> Oof. climate change. I'm going to go all Greta on this one. And the reason why I'm saying it is we basically hit the r- rainy season in the first week of October, and it didn't stop raining till about middle of February. And at a stage, we actually got a leak or two in, in the back of our camper, and we realised the impact of whether you want to call it climate change, whether you want to call it warmer seas, whether you just want to say I've got no idea what really happened, but it rained for three months longer than what it was supposed to be raining. You see the impact of that actually on the locals, on the local farmers, where the entire farmland is just being washed away, where villages are being swept away in mudslides. Um, so that that's one of the one of the more negative things I, I'd say that that came out of it. And then, unfortunately. Uh like I said, when we came back to South, South Africa, there was a lot of concerns also from our side from a safety viewpoint. And it's almost as, I'm not sure if it's a fearful attitude or whether it is just a, a safety attitude that immediately kicked in when we came across the border. And in hindsight, that that wasn't a very great transition or realization that we have to be a lot more um a lot more guarded coming back home than what we actually could be and were for a long period of uh, a long portion of the trip,
0: okay, so highlights and low lights final question before we get on to investments uh, would you prefer to live in Kenya or uh, Mozambique or Zambia versus south Africa would you ever would you ever move given your experience over the last seven to eight months
1: um I think the fact that we cried when we crossed the border, coming back home kind of gave that one away. We realized that this is home. South Africa is home. South Africa's got its own problems and loads of it, but it's still home. And I think for as long as we we can live here safely, then this is basically where we want to be.
0: Okay, let's talk about uh, less interesting things, and let's talk about the markets now. You came back to a world which was extraordinary. You work now for South Chester Investment Managers, which is a fixed income stroke sort of hedge fund company. And the let's talk about the U.S. Oh, sorry, the South African ten-year bond going from thirteen and a half percent yield down to below nine percent yield. It must be quite fun for you to have a look at this with a, a clear, a clear head and a clear eye.
1: To be honest, it was great fun being outside of the market through uh, throughout the the entire March period as well as a portion of April, and just being able to look at it without having to be in the <laughs> in the difficult situation of actually making the calls. Because, um, uh, like like I said, the the ten year bond spiked to. 13.5% stay there for a day or two, down to 9%, the vol- level of volatility where even on a 10, 15 million trade, the market moved by 50 to 75 bits was extraordinary. On top of that, you then had all the liquidity issues in the markets uh, during the, the latter part of March with the Reserve Bank actually coming out um, and adding a second repo auction on a daily basis just to get liquidity back into the market. You've got the... Um, the the, the final downgrade from Moody's and South Africa officially falling out of the Wigby index and lo and behold, actually not a lot happening. And there was a lot of South African specific changes that came through, but also a lot of global, obviously global events driving it. So from a excitement viewpoint, usually the bond market is fairly boring, but it's been an entertaining couple of weeks yes, with volatility that one has really seen in, in, in the market to this extent. And, and I know that previously when we spoke, and even though it was a year two years ago, at that stage we said, yeah, the bond markets are fairly volatile. You know, now it's w- moving with 20 to 30 bips on a daily basis. Well, what we've seen over the last month or two months is moves of 50 to 100 pips, And that's volatile.
0: What is your attitude now towards the markets? You've you've come back with a fresh mind, as I've said. Uh, You've been rejuvenated. You've been oxygenated, (coughs) if that's a word. It's probably not. But do you look at the markets with a less jaundiced eye, in other words? And do you look at it uh, in a more uh, clear perspective? And if so, what is your prediction for the future?
1: I think what I've learned is that to make future predictions is a little bit like trying to shoot yourself in the foot. Nobody saw this whole coronavirus and the impact of the lockdowns, or even just the lockdowns. Nobody saw this coming. Um, And you could model four similar type of black swan events, and you can put all types of stress tests that you want on top of it. But these events still happen every every couple of years, whether it's every five years, every 10 years. We've been talking a lot about it, that the markets were super expensive. Nobody knew what was going to be the last straw breaking it. Now we all know it's a little unknown virus that kind of looks a bit funny. But that was the last straw that actually broke it. And we're going to go through a cycle, and then the cycle's it's going to be a down cycle, then up cycle, then down cycle, then up cycle. How long it's going to last, nobody knows. But the only thing that's certain, um, and that is more of the clarity that I came, with, came back with, is that there will always be these out of out-of-the-blue-left-field things that, that's going to come across your way. And your only choice is whether you're going to panic when it happens, or you're going to, whether you're going to be fearful when it happens, or whether you're going to say that, hold oh, no, on, I haven't seen this specific thing before, but I know that we're going to get through it. Um, it might take us a little bit of time. It might take, it. might take We might need other people to help us to get through it, but it will change again. And I think that's the only certainty, um, if you look at the market where it is at the moment now, is that it will change again. It will change for the better and it will change for the worse again. But that's the only thing that you can actually say about it.
0: My final question is, if people have the means and the will and the resources to do what you've just done, would you recommend that they do it? In other words, get up and get out and uh, get back to real life.
1: Yes. It's it's a a very easy short answer, yes. Leave everything, go and do it. Because not only will, for, for us, for me, not only... I find myself again, and it sounds again very eerie-fairy, but realize what is important and why it's important. And just that that clarity of being away from everything for the first three months, not even reading any type of news articles, stepping back, realizing the amount of information and data and whether you want to call it false news or real news or good news or bad news, just the amount of info that we're bombarded with. And to step away from that, almost to step away from the noise, and just to get into that silence and that open space, I think is absolutely priceless. So if anybody can do it, yes, immediately.
0: Julieza, thanks so much for your insights and thanks for sharing your very personal experience over the last seven, eight months. That's Julieza Hatting, who is from South Chester Investment Managers. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position,